Hey, welcome to another episode on the People Productivity Channel. This is a channel where you can become a better you. In each interview, we talk to really, really interesting people who have actually made a difference in the lives of friends, workers. Uh, they understand what it means to be deeply human, and they're able to share things they've done so that you actually get some tips and techniques to take away. Today, I'm very pleased to have with us Terry Mays. Um, I met Terry actually through business and immediately realized that Terry was one of these people who has that elusive get it factor when it comes to the human side of life and, and business. And uh, I was just so amazed at you know, her, the grasp she has just intuitively of the whole human side of business and life. And without further ado, I think, Terry, I should let you introduce yourself. Well, hello, YouTube audience. I am so excited to be a part of this interview. Um, Frank and I have known each other just for a short period of time, chronologically, but I feel like I've known him forever. <laughs> like it's that kindred spirit that has just really yeah. connected us in a way that really brought some validation to the way that I thought and just things in general about work and about people and about relationships that in the back of my mind, I thought there's gotta be a better way. And then I talked to Frank and I find out there is a better way. So this is probably one of the coolest things I've gotten to do in a while. But yeah, my I, name again oh, is Karen I cut you off, there we go. We always have so much to say to one another. You know? <laughs> I know, it's always so much fun because you give me energy and I give you energy and we just kind of go at it and it's so fun. Yeah. But um, Our my name is really Mary Mays and I'm the IT relationship and customer experience manager at Honda Manufacturing of Alabama. I've been with Honda for five years, just celebrated my fifth anniversary here. I um, have been in IT for more than 25 years doing various roles on IT teams and working on different projects and with different customers. Um, here at Honda, I also chair the African Americans in Manufacturing Business Resource Group. And I am also, as if I have a whole lot of free time, but I do co-chair a Business Relationship Management Institute um, Community of Interest Group with my, Miguel Cockburn and Steve Plant, who actually works with Frank. So it's really exciting to be here. Yeah. And I, you know, Terry, I love the fact that you pursued relationship management and saw the importance of it. So, you know, given you are this relationship manager and you've obviously done a great job, we can get into that too. I mean, the results you've turned in are really remarkable in terms of improving the performance of the team down there. And it was all about the different human things. But what have you learned about the importance of relationships in the workplace? What could you share with the audience? So relationships are everything. Um, there are so many things that have to get done in a day. And if I didn't have relationships to leverage to get those things done, I don't think I would be as successful in business. I rely heavily on building relationships with people in times where I don't need anything. So I'm constantly in that mode of what can I do for somebody else? Being a helper is just kind of innate to who I am. Mm -hmm. I was born that way. <laughs> so yeah. I'm always looking for ways to be helpful and to add value to other people. So when it's time 
for me to leverage a relationship to get something done, I've already laid the foundation, not because I'm going to hold this person and say, you owe me, but because I genuinely want to be in relationship with this person. It's a give and take. So Mm -hmm. I'm constantly pouring in and I'll be the first person to add the value and to bring something to the table. But then I know when it's time for me to receive something, I have lots of places where I can go and receive what I need and get the assistance I need to get things done. So being in the workplace is just hugely critical that relationships are there and that people are able to collaborate and they feel that freedom to do so. And, you know, I always love the fact that you would actually go out of your way to do things for people with actually no reciprocity, right? Just to help them out, knowing that one day if they wanted to help in a particular situation, they would be able to do that, but in no way required to do it. And I think that's that whole notion of helping others without wanting something in return is important. I remember years ago, I gave feedback to somebody working for me at Merrill who just kept stumbling. And I said, look, I go to these meetings with you and it's all about what you want. You know, people see through that in two seconds. You're not there to help them. You're there to get something you need. I said, you got to flip this around. And this held that individual back in a big, big way. And it was just a blind spot. And, you know, you really, really overcame that. And, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, the accomplishments that you achieved at Honda in customer support by focusing on the human side of that area. Because this is a real, this is real, right? This is not... You know, just a theoretical discussion. We're talking about real accomplishments in an important workplace. Yeah. So first off, I have to say that it was a team effort. Um, I, again, I had to leverage relationships. So I built a really strong relationship with our end user computing manager. Mm -hmm. Um, We, we spent a lot of time together just doing different tasks, but also getting to know each other in the process. And because we spent so much time together, our spouses spent a lot of time together as well. So we wanted to make sure that um, everybody understood what we were doing. But in the process of that, I really developed a great friend. And so out of that friendship, we began to restructure the team and really decide some things about how we thought the team should, the direction the team should go, some of the strategies behind who to hire and who not to hire. Like we changed a lot about that. We changed a lot of what we were looking for and not just people. So he supports help desk, PC services, uh, print management. At the time, he also had cell phone support and desk phone support. So it was just not just looking for skilled technicians, but also looking for people technicians. People that understood the importance of providing a great service to people, that it wasn't just about following the script and doing things in a certain way, but actually engaging with people as they're there and not treating them as if they're an interruption in your day. So we really worked hard at building that team and making sure that people understood what their responsibilities were and what was expected of them. And then we held them accountable. So it was really um, a a change in philosophy and how we hired. We actually had a team manager in place. So people understand the structure. They understand 
who to escalate issues to and how to get things resolved. We actually, not even just on the end user computing team, but our whole department changed. So it wasn't just a success for end user computing, it was a success for our whole department because they are at the front end. The help desk is the first point of contact inside of IT. We started there, but similar changes were happening all over the department because we had a new department manager and a new operations team manager, mm -hmm. a new infrastructure manager, a new end user computing manager. All of this happened within a, almost the first year of me stepping into the relationship manager role. And the great so, thing is you were able to work on building this unseen fabric as you called it, you know, the DNA that held the place together. And, yes. you know, how people learn to operate uh, on the basis of that DNA. I mean, that's um, certainly very powerful. Right. It, it was no longer just something that we said because it sounded good to other people, but it began to be something that we embodied and something, a way of life that we embodied and lived. It wasn't just something that we were saying. It, it was clear and obvious to people that we really did want to offer gold level service. So that was our um, path that we started on with the help desk was just, we want to offer gold level service. So what is gold level service mm -hmm. and how can we get people to that next step in providing the best support that they can provide so that issues are resolved all this time and they don't have to keep coming back for the same problem over and over again. So there were several metrics that we tracked, but one of them that we tracked was service level attainment and we tracked our throughput. And what we saw is that our service level attainment went up and our throughput doubled when yeah. we started focusing on the people. And we spent a lot of time pouring into the individuals on the team and making sure that they understood that they were important and what they wanted and how they wanted their team's culture to be was important, but they were the culture. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not, culture isn't something you can just go to the store, go to the culture section. I'm going to go pick culture off the shelf. I want a vibrant culture. So I'm going to get, go and purchase it and take it back to my company and install it. Around. Right. I'm just going to sprinkle the culture dust, culture dust all over the yeah. office and people will get it. That's not the way it works. You have to be the culture. Um, my pastor gave this great illustration where um, he was teaching our dream team is what it's called. But anybody that serves in our church, they're part of the dream team. And he really wants us to think about looking at problems and solving the problem instead of just waiting for somebody to come and tell you what to do. Bringing solutions to the table. I think it's such a unique way of looking at serving in a church. But he shared this illustration. And Frank, I don't know if you've got that picture. But um, um, yeah, actually, let me let me go in and share my desktop. Quickly. Okay. Um, and then I'll flip over to that. Here we are. Awesome. So if you look at the picture on the left, um, yeah. this is Death Valley, California. And I love this quote from my pastor is you have to be culture. And I think for the purposes of our discussion, you can really interchange 
people with culture. You have to be it. You have to experience it and embody it and show it to people. It's not, again, something you can just go purchase off the shelf. And so um, he talked about how in Death Valley, California, it's very hot, very dry. Um, there's not a lot of rainfall that comes. It's maybe less than three inches a year. The temperatures are over 120 degrees. And so what you're what you end up with is this desert land mm -hmm. where there's nothing, it looks like there's nothing living there. But in mid-2004 to 2005, Death Valley, California got about six inches of rain. Hmm. So if you think about six inches, there's really not a lot of water. It's, it's but the water begins, no, not at all. But the water begins to pool on the surface of this very dry ground and what you ended up seeing was the picture to the right. These wildflowers started blooming all over the place. And it was all from just that simple six inches of rain. And to me, that's, that's the same thing that we do as relationship managers. We bring that water into the dry areas, the dry relationships, the dry departments and teams where people are working in silos and they don't mm -hmm. value each other and they're hoarding information. They don't want to collaborate. They don't want to compromise. They're working for towards their own agenda versus the team's agenda and the company's agenda. So relationships come in like water and mm -hmm. they bring to, to the surface the life that was already there. So the Seeds for all of these wildflowers were already there in the just picture waiting. on the left, just waiting for somebody to come and bring it out. And I think that's what we do as relationship managers is the capability to have highly functional teams is already there. We just have to have the right people that know how to pull things out so that people feel comfortable, they feel safe in their work environment, they feel like they can share and really be themselves. So it's really an awesome thing that we get to do as relationship managers, and that's another one of the things that's so exciting, I get to do it. It's not something that's a hardship for me, it just kind of flows out of who I naturally am. Yes. So it's, it's, so the Japanese would call this ikigai. They would say that this is my reason for being mm -hmm. because it's the intersection of where my passion and my purpose, my mission, my vocation, all the things just kind of come together. And at the center of that is Ikigai, your mm -hmm. reason for being. So I wake up every day and I build relationships because that's just who I am. That's why I was put here. I have a purpose and every one of us has a purpose. Yes. When there's something really magical that happens when you find your purpose and you're able to flow in your purpose. It's no longer work. It's, oh, no. it's, it's passion. Fun it's passion. It's all it's passion. passion. Um, one of the things that's also really cool about um, just working at Honda, Honda has core values that um, every company has core values. So that's nothing unique. Yeah. But one of the things that my division manager did to, try to help us remember some of the core values is he gave us these culture cards and my church at the same time. So this has just been like full circle circle for me um, at work. I'm hearing all about culture and I'm co-chairing this evolving culture community of interest group. 
And then I get to church and my pastor is talking about culture cards. So um, fascinating. I love the fact that we're in this awakening that's happening. And, you know, culture, I remember in 2013 when my book Transforming IT Culture came out, I went on LinkedIn to look up people who had job titles with culture. And I think four names popped up. This was February or January 2013. And um, by 2015, Merriam-Webster had put out the word of the year. And this would have, this came out in January. So it would have been, what word had the highest increase in lookups? And in 2014, that word was culture. So this awakening has been going on and you're part of it. I mean, you're one of the people helping to lead this. And that's why you're being, you know, pulled into all of these culture meetings. The fact that you know, you were able to know uh, in such a deeply human way what human skills were needed as you went out and hired people who were a cultural fit for what you needed to do at Honda. And I just, so the audience knows, um, I was invited down to take a tour of the Honda plant with Terry, and it's enormous. There's 4,500 people there. (laughs) This is not like servicing 100 people. This is a very, very complex environment, very modern. Um, And people rely on the tools, equipment, and technology they need to actually keep things running. So it's very important, and it's a lot of people, a lot of different roles, and I think you did just this masterful job Um, just the way you were able to connect the people that you brought in to why what they were doing mattered. I mean, that was really um, just a super accomplishment, I thought. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, We really spent a lot of time helping people understand that for an engineer at Honda to not have his laptop because he has some issue with... um, a virus or he can't get access to the systems that he needs access to or if a buyer doesn't have what they need their laptop is down they can't get access to the suppliers it's a dead in the water situation which could ultimately affect the line Mm. so if we can't get the parts delivered and we can't get the corrections and the updates that we need to make and the engineer can't work with the design teams because he doesn't have the files and the information that he needs. It's just as critical as not having that part to apply to a car. Hmm. And so we started to really get people to understand that connection, making that connection between what they're doing and what they're seeing happen on the production floor, which for IT, typically people don't think about it as being a very vital part. But because of the digital age that we're moving into, and because of the amount of technology in the car, there are systems that are required in order to complete the build process. Yes. So if the systems are down, you can't finish building the car because of all the technology in it. So it's become even more important for us to understand that we can't take six weeks, eight weeks to get issues resolved or to get a a new person their laptop they really have to come in and hit the ground running yes and look and the fact that a you were able to get them to understand why they did was important so they understood 
that they were working on something that mattered, right? People don't want to waste their right. time. They want to work on something right. that really matters. I think, you know, the fact that you brought that human dimension in, and then you're able to treat them as also as individuals who, you know, did get that feeling that they really were needed. Uh, and humans need to be needed. Otherwise, you start to question, why am I here? And right. I think that was another thing that you did that was just so well done that all of this added together to just double the throughput. Um, I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment, actually. And most places are working in a malaise. I call it the fog of work. People are in this fog. They're going through the motions. They're probably working a lot, lot harder than people are in an environment where all that friction and the barriers and everything have been removed. They're getting double the work done, but it's much more effortless, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, understanding that you're not just doing busy work. So for me, I have to add value. If I feel like what I'm doing doesn't have a purpose, I don't want to do it. And it's going to be a struggle. And most people are that way. They don't want to just do things just for the sake of doing things. Yeah. They want to know it's making a difference, that it matters. Otherwise, they could be doing something that they love especially if they're in a job where they don't necessarily love what they're doing, you have to show that it matters what they're doing so that they'll have passion for what matters, even if it's not their particular passion, even mm -hmm. if it's not their personal passion. They'll have passion and they'll care about it because they know that it makes a difference. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you, made, uh, you said something to me one time, when you know better, you do better. Um, right. That really resonated with me. Maybe we could chat about that for a second, too. How did that come into play? So there are a lot of things that I've learned um, over my short lifetime. I don't want to sound like I'm just an old wise sage. <laughs> but as I get older, the more I realize I didn't know. So I did out of what I knew. But mm -hmm. now that I know, I have an obligation to do better. I have an obligation to do better for my husband, for my children, in my workplace. The older I get and the more I grow and the more I understand, the more I have an obligation to share with others and to give and to just be my best self. Mm -hmm. So the more I learn about me, the better I can be because now it's not just me um, relying on something from the past, but I... Can, or something that somebody else told me, I can give out of what I know about me and the difference that I can make as an individual just grows. Each year I get better and better and better. And I want to continue to get better. I want to continue to add more and more value in different situations and different building relationships in diff with different people and in different ways. It's yeah. just something that I strive personally to just continue to get better. So I have that obligation that when I know better, I have to do better. I have to do something with what I know. Yeah, and you were able to actually <clears throat> share that whole passion, and I'd call it a mindset almost, with the team, because actually they ended up knowing better and, in fact, doing better, all of them. That's and right. It's a phenomenal That's right. It is pretty amazing. So um, Mr. Honda has a quote that he would say, and it's actually plastered on the walls around here. Yeah. Um, 
there's, I'm looking for it to make sure I don't misquote, but um, what he says is, or said, I should say, yeah. <laughs> action without philosophy is a lethal weapon. Philosophy without action is worthless. Mm. So if I know better and I don't do better, what's the point of knowing? It yes. is totally worthless. It's not adding any value to anybody. It's mm. not making a difference in anybody's life that I know things. It's not until I began to share and to encourage and to inspire that people can actually live a better life because of something that they've heard or that someone else did for them, the experiences they've had. All of that comes out of each of us being a better self, being a better person. With the goal being that, in fact, the people, the company, the family, everybody can thrive together. Because that's, that's what it's all about. And, you know, what you proved and what I've seen certainly across many turnarounds I did is that when you create an environment where people are all, they know better, they do better, and they start building these skills and competencies to build relationships that are stronger and produce more value for the company, that the company and the people do better together. It's that powerful. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's funny. Um, one of the cards, so we talked a little bit about these culture cards yeah, yeah. Let's that I got from church. Um, one of them is, I love this, and it says, good is the enemy of great. Mm-hmm. So when I'm good, it's a great thing. I mean, it's really good that I can be good, but sure. if I settle there, I'm always just going to be good and I never get to be great. And who wants to just be good? Like, don't you want to <laughs> strive and be better? And so I, this is one of the things that really resonates for me because I never want to just get to a place where I feel like I've arrived and that's it for me. Mm. I think I'll always be one of those can do people yes. that just literally is, I'm constantly looking for ways to make things better, easier quicker, um, very much a believer yeah. in we are better together. Oh, we without really a doubt. Are. You know, you're one of those people who, as you climb the mountain, there's this set of clouds and you climb through them and realize that the mountain goes much higher and you just keep going. You don't say that's the top. And you've really created better together in your life and in your work your church community. I think you've, uh, you're a great role model. That's why I wanted to have well, you on. You. on our, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate that. That really means a lot to me. It's um, true. It's, it's really true. And people, people learn to, you know, this is about having a better life, not just a better work. You know, people that's are right. What you're, that's people, exactly, that's exactly what we told the guys. So as they're using, we did use the people productive culture fitness app cultural yeah. fitness app. And we're going through, we kept reminding people that this isn't just about your work life. This, what you're learning, it's about your life. You yeah. can make differences in your relationships at home and in the workplace and everywhere you go. This isn't just about making a difference so that we can, we can attain goal level service. This is about making a difference in you as an individual. And that's yeah. one of the things that I love about the app. 
Um, I'm going to put in a shameless plug for you, <laughs> but it's really, I mean, I, I cannot say enough good things about the app because it really, after you do the baseline assessment, it points out these are areas where you need to improve. And then the workouts just come in and they show you what to do. So you don't even have to work for it. My pastor always says, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. It's really what it reminds me of. It just makes things easy for you. Yeah. Instead of trying to go off and create all these action plans and figuring out what to do, you just do a few clicks in the app and the app will tell you what to do. Yeah, it is pretty That's amazing. You know, I, uh, I shy away from ever bringing it up on the channel. Honestly, <laughs> this is about, you know, this isn't about us. This is about getting people on who can share things that help people. But I do, do appreciate the fact you liked it and it helped because... Yeah. I mean, building a deeply human workplace is what this is all about. And, you know, we got yeah. into the business of creating environments where people in the company thrive together because it's the future of work. It's everything. Yeah. Why yeah. wouldn't we want that? Why would we want people suffering at work, having lesser lives when in fact that is just operating on an uninformed or misinformed basis. They don't understand yeah. that's the worst way of actually operating. You're really actually achieving much less and people are suffering in the meantime. And it just, these companies will not survive unless they actually can really build truly thriving communities. And you know, the fact that you are one of these people who had very deep aptitude for this. You did it intuitively, but like many people, you had that epiphany and said, there, this, I see the power of this because you experienced, you know, on the job and in life, what was possible when people were motivated, had that, had their achievement needs met, felt a sense of belonging, put down roots, understood why what they were doing mattered to the organization, and brought all that energy in to help people. And, you know, the discussions we had about this unseen energy force and how real it is, even though you can't see it, right? Like electricity, you yeah. can't see, but it's there. But this relational energy that connects everybody, I mean, you experience that. Maybe we should talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you walk into a room, you either feel the energy and life just suck right out of you, or you feel energized by what's happening in the people around you. It's very much an intangible thing. You can't really put your hands on it and yeah. you can't, like I said, go to the store and pick it up. But man, when you're in an organization or around people that are life-giving and they're energizing, it makes such a difference in your everyday work in everything that you're doing, whether it's at yeah. home or at church or at work, wherever you are, there's this energy that just invigorates you. So it's, it's such an exciting time to be in a place where people are really putting more focus on having vibrant work cultures and not expecting people to just come in, do your job, go home, but to actually build some positive relationships. And we've seen that whole energy thing take place when it's you and you're alone on an elevator and somebody else gets on the elevator mm -hmm. and you kind of get this feeling like, well, I'm ready to get out of here. Or you're yeah. in a store and you're having an interaction with the sales clerk and you're just like, man, I want this to be over. Or you walk in a room 
and you feel like you've known people your whole life and <laughs> you just met yeah. them. So it's like that instant connection. Either that, people that bring life to you life or they forms. suck it out. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's it's super interesting. I've I've um, you know, as I did turnarounds going into companies, you know, I could walk in and I could feel the lifelessness and I could see betrayal mm -hmm. given what had happened in some of these places in the eyes of the people. I could see the fear yeah. uh, in their faces and you could feel it. Yeah. You can actually feel it. And it's that sixth sense to know a lot of what happened without having been there to witness it. Cause you know, their, their faces, their body language of vibe were a testament to the things that had gone on. And I knew immediately that a lot of dehumanization had taken place and they weren't actually able to really engage in what they were doing. They weren't producing, they weren't coming together. They were engaging protective behaviors and, you know, you solved for these things and, and created a great work environment. And I, I just immediately felt this kindred spirit when we got together and yeah. chatted about this because yeah. It is an epiphany and an awakening, and um, I'm really excited to see this, you know, going on. One of the things we talked about was safety, and mm -hmm. you know, creating that environment where it's you know safe to build relationships and safe to create things. And you saw that as well in in your work. Yeah, yeah. It's it's important for people to feel safe to just be who they are. Um, one of the very interesting things about working in IT is we're all very quirky people. <laughs> yeah, <for sure. laughs> IT people are a little bit different. Um, yeah. We're very much not people persons. <laughs> so I'm a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to that. I really enjoy being around people and having conversations. But the vast majority of people that I work with are not people people. Yep. And so it's, it's important. It really does make a difference when you have people that can just be their authentic self, not try to be somebody else, but just give out of who they really are. Um, it's important to just be. And so that was one of the other things that we worked on is just helping people build the relationships where they may not have just naturally gravitated to each other. We kind of put them in social situations where they could really take steps back and really get to know each other, spend time eating together. Um, that kind of happens automatically yeah. here at Honda because of the way we're structured. Yeah. Everything is very orderly, as you can imagine. But lunchtime, most of the time, people sit with their teens. And so you get a chance to interact with the people that are on your team and, and really get to know them in a setting outside of work, so to speak, as you're on a break, you can really get to know about people's personal life. And that's really how you start to build relationships. You get to know more about them, not just as the associate, but as the person. Yeah, fabulous. You know, I think you've done just uh, an amazing job down there. And, um, you know, I think as we start to wrap this interview up, um, you know, are there any, any parting thoughts, ideas, or suggestions you would have for the people who are watching this? Put um, <laughs> I know there are a lot of things I would say, but 
Um, I'll, I'll share this story. I was new as a team manager early on in my career, in my okay. early 20s. I was really nervous about being a manager, wanted to do a great job with it. And I had a team of six people. Four of them, mm -hmm. well, actually two of them were from Canada, and then the other two were from um, New Jersey. And so the four of them formed this really great relationship. So they did everything together. They spent a lot of time outside of work together. And they had decided that they wanted to go to this baseball game during the day. But okay. we were working on a test team that had lots of, lots of deadlines. We were working around the clock. There were, it was just a chaos because of the short time frame to get things turned around. There was a lot to be done. But they came to me and they said, can we go to this ball game? It's in the middle of the day but we will come back and work through the night and get things done. And I had a decision to make. Mm -hmm. Am I going to build a relationship with them and let them build relationship with each other? Or am I going to hold them to a hard and fast deadline? Mm -hmm. So I chose to let them go to the game because well, I that felt was like, uh, very trusting. Really? At the end it the was, day. it was a very big risk. Trusting. Yeah. And again, I was very young and I didn't really know, <laughs> but that gamble turned out to pay back in ways that I could not have ever asked. So people gave to me out of that realizing that I really do care about them and about their relationship and about their personal desires because we have been working so many hours. You end up working late into the night. You get in early. You're working on the weekends. You spend a lot of time around people. So if I can find some small way to let them have joy and have life, I felt like it was my obligation to let them do it mm -hmm. because they had given me already. They had proven that they would be, they would be honorable and they would be faithful to do the work. Yeah. So what a great just, leadership lesson. Yeah. What I stepped out and I said, go for it. And so when people came by and they said, where's your team? They're out of the office, but they'll be here this afternoon. And that's yeah. what I said all day to people that asked about them because I trusted them and they trusted me. And as a result, we were able to get things done faster. They relied on each other because they had relationships. They helped each other when one finished sooner the other ones would step in and help. Like we just all came together as a great team. And that was one of the very first times that I saw how important it is to have relationships and good sure. relationships that as a foundation that chemistry, of what you're doing. That chemistry, yeah. that shared accountability. You know, that's hard to achieve. That true shared yeah. accountability where somebody yeah. would step yeah. in and help somebody else because they care about you know, they're responsible for us as opposed to right. being just responsible for themselves. I mean, that's a big deal, actually. Right, right. It's a huge deal yeah. when people are willing. But the thing about it is each one of us has reserves. So when we come to work, we show up and we give out of what we have. But there's, all of us could do more, right? So we're not giving every single thing that we have. But there's something really interesting happens when you trust your leadership and you know that they trust you and that they 
they give you leeway to be your authentic self and mm. they don't hoard or keep things from you. They're very open and honest. There's a lot of integrity. When you feel safe in that environment, you open up the reserves of what you can do. You go over and beyond automatically without anybody having to ask you to do it. You just do it out of your overflow because you care. And yes. it's like once you make that connection and you care, you know that your manager cares. There's exponential amount of potential that's available to a company. Once you tap into that and you know that they genuinely care about you as an individual. It's amazing. You know, it is, I'd say if there is a takeaway from this call, it is the exponential nature of what humans can do. And there was so much untapped ability that people have to give if, in fact, those leading them and those coworkers who are around them actually were to care about them, help them, and to get this kind of mutual engine of success going where people want to just go travel to higher levels of greatness together. I and mean, there's nothing you can, you can't beat that. That's right. That's you, incredible. I think you said it perfectly. I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry, I would say um, fabulous conversation. I just love chatting with you about this stuff. You have such deep kind of that get it, factor about all of this. Um, you did find your passion and purpose. And we're definitely going to have to do this again and share more with our audience. So yes, really appreciate it. thank you so I much really for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I've never done anything like this. So this has been very, very wonderful. Well, you have so much to share. I am just so glad I was able to be the first person to have you on an interview like this. Um, hopefully you'll become as famous as you deserve to be. Oh, well, thank you. All the best. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.